G'day folks, welcome to another Chit Chats with GitCats, the start of a new week of Chit Chats. Let me just give you a bit of a rundown on what we've got coming this week, because I've planned some cool stuff for us. I'm really looking forward to learning some stuff this week. So uh, tomorrow I have Jason Veering from Riff Accelerator, uh, which is some great software. If you're wanting to learn really hard licks, Jason's found a way of being able to slow down your really hard licks and have lessons that progressively speed up and analyze whether you're keeping up and then building it up with all, without all the nasty artifacts usually associated with time stretching. So that's tomorrow. Who else do we have? We have on Thursday, and forgive me if I say your name wrong, but we have Guillaume Pierre from Two Notes. Uh, so I'm really keen to learn a little bit about reamping load boxes, Torpedo, Wall of Sound, all the cool stuff that uh, Guillaume makes under the Two Notes brand. Saturday, this is going to be a cool one. I have my friend in LA Space. Now, Space is from a duo called Digital Daggers, amongst a lot of other things. You've heard his music in Hollywood movies, Vampire Diaries, all those big stuff, all the teen stuff. Man, he's all over that. So I'm going to be picking his brain about movie syncs because I personally don't know a thing about it. It's something I'd really like to learn. So... Folks, if you go to the links that I post on social media, um, you can set reminders for these and maybe we can learn together. But today I'm very excited because my guest is uh, a stalwart of the rock and roll scene in Australia since the 70s. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Bob Spencer. Hey. G'day, Bob. I'm good, mate. I'm good. Let's Where's our little round of applause? There it is there. Uh, mate, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, we had a bit of a mess around trying to get the Skype connection going, but we're all good now. You mean I had a mess around trying to get the Skype connection? Well, you were fine. I was fine. I was message. I sent a message half an hour earlier to the wrong, wrong Skype account. No, no, it was the correct Skype address, but apparently I have two Skype addresses, two accounts, which I don't remember setting up. So it's all very difficult. Luckily, the folks that make the software I'm using are, are building a chat into it real soon, so it's going to be a lot easier. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. So, Bob, quite a career you've had. If, uh, if I'm not wrong, you were playing and touring Australia in a group called Finch at the age of 15. Yeah. Yeah. yeah then um, went on um, to Skyhooks. Uh, I'll just give a quick rundown before we, yeah. we, we go oh, into okay. all this. Skyhooks at 19 uh, in, in 1976. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the Angels uh, around 85, 86, and now currently with Roast Tattoo. Man, that's some cool gigs you've had over your time. Did you look back and sort of go, man, that, this, is, this has been great life? <laughs> um, it it's the rock and roll dream. It's the rock and roll dream. What hour of the day you catch me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm oh, look, I find the whole looking at your past thing... I'm ambivalent about the whole thing. So yeah. sometimes I find it kind of cool. Sometimes I think it's just humorous. Um, sometimes I wish I'd done something else. It, it's it's not a constant the way I feel about it. So as I mentioned earlier, you were touring the, the Australia at the age of 15. What gave yeah. you the guitar bug in the first place? Was guitar your first choice or did that come from another no. instrument? No. No. How no. did you start, mate? No, no, no. What's the rundown? Saxophone. Saxophone was my Saxophone. first Saxophone, okay. Yeah. And um, I was a very skinny kid, and my father said, you're too little, choose something else. So I went, uh, uh guitar. That was it. Uh, I, to this day, I, I still prefer the sound of a saxophone to guitar. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I'm I'm ambivalent about the whole guitar thing. Okay. As long as it's music, right? As long as you yeah, one one day I'll one day I'll make up my mind whether I really want to play guitar or not. Um, but that you know, at currently I look I play guitar. I'm in my sixties. I probably won't play anything else. But uh, yeah, I've I've never been convinced that. It's great. It's sometimes it's just, you know, sometimes guitar music is 
just transcends things, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But other times I find it annoying. Okay, yeah. And I find my own guitar playing annoying as well, by the way. Don't we all? Don't we all? I'm the same. Like, I hear myself, I just go, man, you are one sloppy motherfucker. And other people go, oh, that's great. I'm like, you can't hear that? So that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So, but, um, yes, that's been guitar. But I still prefer the sound. The sound of a saxophone um, possibly being closer to the sound of the human voice is what I still prefer. Cool. Cool. So, in the early days when you did pick up the guitar, um, it was to get away from my family. Really? Well, yeah. Now <laughs> it's an looking, escape from the world, really. Yeah. Looking back at it and having been through years of therapy, um, it's pretty clear to me now that that playing guitar was a way for me to get away from the constraints of my family. Okay. And to do something that I had complete control over and they had really nothing to do with. Okay, cool. It was freedom for me. So yeah. there, there, are, there are two things that represent freedom to me. One is the water, the surf, and the water was my first love. And the other is playing music. Awesome. So when you did pick up the guitar... What yeah. did you start off by playing? Um, it was the same tragic stuff that everybody else was playing in 1965 or 66 when I started. It it, it was things like, um, you know, Spanish Flea and some Hank Marvin, that sort of stuff. Cool, cool. It, it's, what, it's what guitar teachers... Were teaching, although the very first things I learned to play were folk songs. Mm-hmm. Um, my first teacher was Brother Edward at Marish Brothers Pagewood, and he was a lovely, lovely man. And he taught me to play the basic chords, and we played, you know, Bob Dylan and The Seekers and that sort of stuff. Cool. Peter, Paul and Mary, yep. you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So you mentioned sort of doing a bit of the, the strummy thing to start off. One thing that really stands out to me about your playing in recent oh. videos I've seen of you playing with Rose Tattoo, etc., your rhythm guitar playing is you're one of the best. You're one of the best. And it's one thing, there's a lot of guys out there that can whittly diddly like you wouldn't believe, but a lot of those guys aren't the best rhythm players. And that's one thing I noticed was your use of what I would call hot space, just chucking in a split second of silence before going to that next chord and just the impact that gives. Um, um, well, thank, thank you. I, I consider rhythm guitar to be the bedrock of what you do. It's, mm-hmm. it's more important than playing solos. Uh, this is just my point of view. And I have a few aims when I play rhythm. Um, and one is that I, I want to make my parts clear. And the part that you're playing can't be clear if it's surrounded by hash, if it's got all this other stuff around uh-huh. it. So yep. when I play a chord, I want there to be silence before it and and silence after it. So it's I want the chord to poke out. Um, and I don't like sustain. I don't want chords to hang on forever. And I, I see rhythm guitar playing or guitar playing as being percussive. Mm. Uh, I, the older I get, the less I see it from a melodic point of view and the more I see it from a percussive point of view. So I try to play rhythm percussively and percussion needs silence. Mm. Uh, if you take, for example, a snare drum, um, it doesn't ring forever, and there's a very definite transient. The, that first thing you hear, that initial transient, is really important with percussion, and that's how I view my rhythm playing and, and my solo playing. I see my solos as being percussion with notes, mm-hmm. and I try to get what I play to stand out. To It's not a volume thing. Mm-hmm. 
I think I think many guitar players get caught up in volume. That's not how to get noticed. How to get noticed, I think, depends on having a very clear approach to that chord or to that note and getting a tone which supports that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there is like a, a good hard edge about your playing and uh, listening back through some of the Skyhook stuff that was definitely you brought a harder edge. How did you get from strumming Peter, Paul and Mary to touring around with Finch? What was the bridging gap that brought that aggression and hard sound to your playing? Oh, um, okay, um, there are a few things to think about. There are similarities playing, whether you're playing This Land Is Your Land or you're playing, you know, Women in Uniform, they, they are similar. So when I play rhythm, especially, um, I keep my right hand going all the time. Mm. And I play all six strings all the time. And with my left hand, I mute the strings that I don't want to hear. I don't try and choose the strings that I want with my right hand, with my picking hand. I play all six strings all the time. And the notes that are unnecessary and are muted provide that little click that little bit of percussion inside yep. the chord. Yep. So I, I don't see playing Puff the Magic Dragon much different from Women in Uniform. Okay. My From my point of view, other people might have a different take on it. But from my point of view, I didn't know that back then, of course, as a, as a what was I, nine, as a nine-year-old. But I... But I I think I've always, I haven't thought about this a whole lot, Rick, but I, I think I've always felt that, that there's got to be that drive whether you're playing, whether you're playing, you know, blowing in the wind or rock and roll, roll outlaw, there, there, there's got to be that drive. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I want people to feel like they need to move when I play. And that's always been my overriding ambition when I play rhythm is I, 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 I want it to physically move people so that people feel that they have to move their shoulders or shake their bums. Yep. I think that's really important. I don't get caught up in guitar. Uh, there are lots of other people who do who are very accomplished at what they do and can whittle, whittle me, you know, under the ground. Um, but that doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. Folks, go back and rewind what Bob just said over the last few minutes there, because that is, you just said exactly what I've tried to get into students' heads for years now, the people that I teach, the approach to rhythm guitar. That was almost, my students were recognized. That was almost my words that I try and put on. So it's good to see that we're in the same headspace, man. That's, that's well, really that's- cool. Oh, that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you are communicating this to your students. Um, there are so many guitar players whose aims appear to be to impress other guitar players, mm. and I don't do that. Um, if a melody that I play brings a smile to another guitar player's face, I'm happy about that. But I've never set out to impress a guitar player via technique uh, or speed uh, those things don't move me so um, I don't try and use them to impress somebody else mm. and I but there are lots of guitar players who have made very successful careers for themselves um, in honing those skills and the speed and dexterity that impress other guitar players and you know they have youtube channels and endorsements and all that and that's great for them but i've never i can't do that with any sincerity because that style of guitar playing doesn't 
have any emotional impact on mm. me. And, and I'm a punter. Uh, yeah, okay, I play guitar, but I'm a punter. I'm still that, you know, a 12-year-old kid who laid on the floor with borrowed headphones listening to Led Zeppelin 1. I'm still that kid. So for me, this is emotional. It's not. It's not about impressing anybody. Cool. So you just mentioned Led Zeppelin. When I when I asked what led you to build up a bit of a, a heavier edge about your playing, w- was that one of yeah. the the things that led you there, Led Zeppelin? Yeah, um, yeah. Hearing that first Led Zeppelin album um, was very impressive. The most impressive album I heard as a kid was Fire and Water by Free. That that was a I remember the moment that I heard that album. That was a defining moment for me. And to this day, that remains a seminal piece of work. Awesome. Um, and, you know, I know I know what all four players played on every song backwards. Cool. <laughs> um, um, so it was Fire and Water that really hit me, but there were lots of things that hit me. <clears throat> um uh, you know, the, the Led, Led Zeppelin 1 and 2, um, Jethro Tull, uh, Focus, the Dutch band, Yes, um, Australian bands. Uh, it's Anyone who knows me knows that Doug Ford is my hero. And, and uh, so, you know, from the Master's Apprentices. Okay. And I, I, remember, I remember Owen, the... The singer from Finch playing me Katie by the Master's Apprentices and um, um, I was just flabbergasted at that sound and that the approach that Doug had there were lots of things that marked my journey cool cool and like I could talk about that for six hours <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said to you earlier yeah, have you got a, a cap off point on this mate because it, it can stretch uh, out when, when the flow gets going now I must give a shout out to Vinny's Let It Rock Emporium on Facebook because over the last week or two I was checking out these really cool articles on you the, the Bob Spencer tapes and I, I sent a message to okay. Craig saying man do you actually know Bob or are you a fan he goes yeah yeah no, we're friends and I, and I actually put the offer out if he wanted to uh, co-host yeah. with me and he said no all yours mate I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up with Bob so thank you Craig um, now so I got a little bit of a rundown on, on your history from from going through that so yeah. from Finch and you guys had a bit of national success yeah as Finch um, I don't know I, I uh, we we were pretty successful in Sydney and we made trips to Melbourne eventually we lived in Melbourne and we made trips to Queensland and we did, a, oh, and I just remembered, and we did a lot of touring around the country with Hush and uh, bands like that. Cool. Um, so, yeah, we, we did, we did um, the, the three eastern states. Okay. Um, oh, oh, and we played Adelaide. I, <laughs> that just came into my head as well. Okay. Um, the, the only uh, uh, airplay success that we had when I was in the band, so we, when I was in the band, was through a, a song called Short Changed Again. And that was self-released through our manager, Brian Todd, who funded that. Um, and that got some uh, airplay. But that was in the days where... You could literally turn up at a radio station and hand them your single and they'd listen to it. I mean, those days are gone. Uh, there's no way in the world Triple M are going to entertain playing a single from a little self-funded band. That's just not going to happen now. It's all set lists uh, that have been spat out by the program manager and it's all very constrained but in those days you could do that um and i'm still friends with some of those people we met back then cool which is lovely yeah so we had a, a little bit of success 
um, I don't know how to measure that success, but we had we did have some success, and we played um, many of the weekends while I was at school, finishing my HSC, and we toured during school holidays. <laughs> <laughs> now, around about that time, one of the the rival bands on the scene was a band called Skyhooks. Yeah, do you remember the first time well, no, you? But, but- they weren't rivals. No, okay. they were, no, they were at the top of the tree. Okay, yeah. Do you remember the they first time the, you heard them? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember hearing them in the kitchen of my girlfriend's place at the time I was 17. And it, it was living in the 70s that I heard. And I thought, this is not an Australian band. Um, the sound, the production, the way the pieces fitted together, they all slotted together, even though the the recordings were full of overdubs, including the kinship sink, literally. Um, there was something about the production and the way the band played and the arrangements, really clever arrangements and really sharp lyrics. And my first thought, and I hate to say this, was, oh, that's not an Australian band. And I was shocked to find out that they were from Melbourne. And uh, I went to see Skyhooks when they played underneath the pylons at the harbour bridge Mm -hmm. here in sydney it may have been their first trip to sydney and i'm pretty sure i went with finch and my hope was that they were going to suck because as far as we were concerned we were a rock band and they were a bunch of fags from melbourne I'm not politically correct. And it kind of really wanted, I kind of wanted them to be awful and they blew me away. I could not believe the level that they were on compared with everything else I'd ever seen. So Finch had played with the most successful bands in the country, TMG. Uh, who I had a lot of respect for. And to this day, Les Hall is one of my top three influences in terms of rhythm guitar playing. I think Les Hall is a god. Um, So we had played with TMG. We played with Sherbet. We played with Band of Light, who I love. And we played with a whole lot of, um, you know, successful bands. But in terms of the show and the way that everything fitted together, Skyhooks made Sherbet appear to be a garage band. They were operating on a completely different level, completely different level from anything I'd ever seen. Did you ever dream when you saw them? Did you you ever think as you were watching them that you'd be a part of that someday? I guess not, huh? No, 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 No. God, no. No, 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 my... my, um, my only focus, no, I, that's a, an interesting question. Um, of course, as a musician, always wanting to improve myself, there were many times that I saw or heard a musician and thought I'd like to play with them, but I didn't want to be in another band. I don't recall ever thinking, oh, I re- wish I were in that band. But I would appreciate other musicians from other bands. Yeah. But no, I, the thought never occurred to me that I might join Skyhooks. I was shocked when Greg asked me to join. How did that happen? We were out on the road with Finch, um, maybe supporting Hush or Supernaut. And I think we were in the Victorian country. And my recollection is that uh, we were out by the pool. This is not a five-star hotel, but we're out by the pool 
sitting in the sun must have been coming up to Christmas or or just after Christmas, so warm weather. And I recall the hotel manager coming down to us with a piece of paper saying, is there a Bob Spencer here? And um, yeah, that's me. And he said, oh, this says, he's looking at the paper and he says, when you get back to Melbourne, would you please call Greg McCainch? And I had no idea what that was about. Did he want to sell me a guitar or buy a guitar? Greg and I had kept in contact and we were friends. Um, I would go see Skyhooks and he would come and see Finch and we kept in contact in the in the days uh, when we used to write each other letters and send postcards. So we were friends. So it wasn't kind of normal for him to send a message yeah. while I was at a hotel. You knew something's up. But it was kind of weird. Why doesn't he just wait till I'm back in Melbourne? So I called him when we got back to Melbourne uh, and he said, oh, do you want to join the band? Oh. Um, <laughs> it was just weird, really. Yeah. Yeah, uh, But it was great. Uh, at the time, I felt that Finch were going around in circles in Melbourne. We weren't getting anywhere. I was very despondent about the band's future and, uh, and us not reaching what I thought was our potential. And I was very despondent. I was very depressed about the band not going somewhere, not having a vision, not being clear, not having goals. Mm. Um, uh, and joining Skyhooks gave me the opportunity to join uh, um, an ensemble uh, that, that was very, very clear about what they were doing, very clear goals very well described and articulated um, and successful. Were they of similar age to you? Were they older than you? In my little notes, it says that you were 19 when you joined Skyhawks. Were they similar about, age? Well, it's similar now that I'm 62. It wasn't similar back then. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, they were in their middle 20s yep. and, and married – um, I don't think any of them had kids back then, but, uh, you know, they had houses and um, wives and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. They, they lived in a different world from me, having been through such great success and also being, at the time, considerably older okay so when you joined up with them was there a bit of a, a change in the gear that you were using like was there a particular rig you were using in finch oh, no. and you thought whoa gotta step up no what was your go-to back then? no 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 i i uh, no i used exactly the same gear i had my gold top les paul with p90s and my ampeg v4 Okay, and I, I love that amplifier. Um, I would still like to have one, actually. Um, and the only change was that I used their speaker boxes because they had road cased quad boxes that they had bought from Leonard Skinnerd. Um, one box had four EVs in it, and one box had for KT-120s, okay. uh, JBLs. Yeah, yeah. And Bob Starkey and I used to swap around. Sometimes I'd use that box and sometimes he'd use that box. And when we were recording, you know, maybe I'd use that box and he'd use that box. But the, the amplifier that I used was the Ampeg V4, which I bought immediately after seeing Bad Company in Sydney. Cool. And they, they had Ampeg V4s. Yeah. And I thought, that's the sound I've been hearing, that mid-range, heavy sound. 
uh, not scooped. Mm -hmm. There's lots of mid-range. And, in fact, Les Hall from TMG, the Ted Mulry gang, he also went out and bought a, a V4 cool. after seeing our company. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm going to yeah, be looking around I, for? I actually took note of that, Ampeg V4. Okay. <laughs> a V4. They're really heavy and they're very loud and you'd probably never turn one up these days. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and they also, the circuitry changed a little bit over the years, so you kind of have to know which schematic you're after. Sure. Um, but that mid-range heavy sound is still what I hear to this day. Not necessarily an Ampeg, but I, when I attempt to achieve a guitar sound, um, it's still lots of mid-range focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people I'm pull out. Terribly, I'm not terribly interested in the the real lows or the real highs. It's the mid-range for me. And again, that helps me get heard. It's not a volume thing. It's mm. it's placing your tone within the context of the song. So I, I did read that you worked as an engineer for a while, so I can get a bit technical and ask yeah. you, when you're talking about mid-range, yeah. are you talking about upper mids or lower bins? Because that's a big difference you know are we talking down around 400 or are we talking up around 4k oh not 4k no 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 between i'd say between like 300 and one and a half 2k uh-huh cool cool yeah that is some I very mean, important course, frequencies course, yeah well of course your guitar is going to have 4k in it anyway oh the guitar sound not your guitar yep. the guitar sound will have 4k in it but that's not where if I want some cut, of course you're going to uh, – sorry, if you want to cut, then you're going to boost somewhere between 3 and 6K. Mm. Cool. And sizzle, as you know, is a, a, above that. But it's the gronk. I, I call it gronk. Okay. That's the word I have for it, gronk. Yeah. That's what I want my guitar to sound like, gronk. Yeah, that's a good description because – yeah, uh, I'm always saying that to people, oh, it needs more E, but you've got too much or and you, right. yeah, so make the noise again. <laughs> Gronk. Gronk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all my yeah. friends know. I mean, this is this is the word that I use all yeah. the time. You said down around 350. Yeah. yeah, cool, cool. So as I said before, Skyhawks definitely took a, a heavier edge once you, you joined. Now, I, I was quite young. I, I was born in 73, so I was but a little kid when all this was happening. But I do remember songs like Women in Uniform on the radio. And then when I went on to watch Hey Hey Saturday later uh, as a teenager and I was playing guitar and I'd see Red Simons playing guitar and I'm, I just could not put two and two together that that guy playing electric guitar like an acoustic guitar um, could be responsible for that attack that I was remembering in my head. And it wasn't until yeah. recent years that I realized, ah, it's because that wasn't him. Yeah. And, and that came down to you. Now, Skyhooks, uh, they had a, a central songwriter in, was it Greg McCage? Greg McCage. Yep. Yeah. Um, was he open to you bringing some of your songs on board? Because I did read on Vinny's Let It Rock Emporium that you've always recorded your own demos and written songs. Um, was there anything brought to the party to Skyhooks? No, I didn't. Um, I'm sure that if I did, Greg would have been amenable to that. Um, I'm, I'm sure there was. There, it wasn't that there was some gate, and only Greg songs were accepted. It wasn't like that. Um, I didn't bring anything to the table, and quite honestly, at the time, I was focused on drinking too much and chasing girls. Um, I, I didn't have a head for business at all. Mm -hmm. So I didn't take the time required to present material to the band. I never called Greg and said, man, I've got some stuff. Can I come over? I didn't do that. So I have no complaints about that. And and I've remain, remained friends with Greg and he told me that um, when the band had reformed in the, I don't know, the early 90s or something, that he was encouraging other people in the band to come forth with songs and nothing came. 
Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Because some people just have to write songs and some people try. And sometimes if you try, it's just not the same, is it? Are you one of those guys that just has to write songs? You've just got stuff in your head. You go, I don't know what that is, but I need to finish it. I've I've got stuff on the go all the time. It drives me mad. Um, Going through my ideas, um, um, folders these days, folders that used to be cassettes, and asking, is that any good? Well, that's great. What am I going to do with it? Well, that's shocking. Or oh, it's too rock, or it's too this, or it's too that, and it's um, it does keep me up at night. Yeah, yeah. So what I was no, reading, I sorry, uh, from what I was reading on on um, the Vinnie's Let It Rock Emporium, um, yeah. when you moved on to the Angels, they were a bit more. Not I was going to say they were a bit more open. You presented a lot more song ideas to them, complete songs, in fact. Yeah, is that true? Yeah. Yep. Um, yes. Uh, minus lyrics. Minus lyrics. Okay. Time. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, having had drawers and drawers of cassettes of ideas, had a lot of stuff from which to choose. So I would look at the ideas that I had, and if I thought something would be suitable for the angels, I presented it. Um, and as far as I can remember, the things that I presented were accepted. Uh, but I was careful about what I presented. I didn't just present seven and a half thousand ideas. Yeah. I, that's what I thought would work. That's yeah. what I would play the band. Cool, cool. And, and often the music was complete. Um, I've never thought about what percentage was complete and what it's only when I'm asked about these yeah, things sure. that yeah. I think. But I do remember a number of songs that were the the music as we recorded it is the same as my demo at home. Yeah. Cool, cool. So we talked about how you got the call for Skyhawks. Uh now Angels was slightly different, but almost just as easy, right? Do you want to tell us about that? It was another one of those, (laughs) it's all so silly really, isn't it? Um, I had called Rick Brewster. Rick and I were friends and and we remained in contact. And and we, uh, since the old days of, you know, 1974 or 75 or something, and not in frequent contact, but in contact. And he was a bit of a gear geek, forever changing amplifiers and guitars and all that. And I was working pretty much full-time as a recording engineer at a little studio in Sydney. So I called Rick and um, to let him know that I was working at this studio and if he would like to do demos, if the Angels would like to do demos, I could offer a really good rate. Cool. And uh, we were talking about that and talking about other stuff. I th- At the time, I was using a Vox AC50 and we were talking about that and he was using, I think, a Jim Kelly uh, amp, I think, at the time, and we were talking about that. And he, he may have had a modified Fender Twin. We were talking about that. And uh, and I said, so how's it going with the band? And he said, oh, John just left. And I said, oh, well, if you need a guitar player, let me know. And the next thing I knew, I was in the band. Just like that. It's as simple as that, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There was no grand plan. You know, it's not like Instagram and Facebook where things, everybody knows about everything all of a sudden. Apparently, John had left a few days earlier 
and I think they'd already auditioned some guitar players. I'm pretty sure they had. Uh, but but once I had a play with them, uh, the auditioning stopped. So it was a case of right place, right time, right fit. You were just the right guy for yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, you know, they, they wanted, at the time, they wanted a rhythm guitar player. They didn't want any solos because Rick, as we all know, covers that very well. His melodies. Uh, they're fantastic. Oh. He, he writes he writes great melodies. It's about the writing of those solos. Yeah. Um, he writes great melodies, and they're memorable, and it's hard to imagine those songs without Rick solos, especially the later ones, not so much the very early ones, okay. but, you know, so, you know, from not so much face-to-face, -face, I don't think, but from the next album on, yeah. So a, a solo like No Secrets, for example, um, you, couldn't, you couldn't play favorite. anything else. And then... No, if you, you, no, if you played another solo, uh, people would throw things at you. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that's how important the solo is to that song. Absolutely. And that's why I talk about Rick writing solos rather than Rick playing solos. And it's one of the things that I love about him, that ability to write a melody that is so embedded in the song It's hard for the listener to imagine the song without that melody. Absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. There's a one quirky note in that solo that if ever I'm seeing a cover band play, I know they, they're going to get the wrong note. And I before I go to play it, I go, that note's there. It's so unexpected. That one. Uh, yeah. that's, just the, that's just the six-chord tonic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But it's just... Whenever I see a cover band play, they always get that note wrong. They always land on a that's, tone up or something. That's the point in the song where it goes to the six chord, doesn't it? E minor. It goes to E minor. I thought it was a C there, but I could be wrong. Um, uh, I think it's the six chord, okay, Rick, okay. but I'm yep, not yep, sure. Yep. I'm not sure. And if it's the six chord... It's the tonic of the six chord. Sure. And the, one of the great things about Rick's playing is that he um, he uh, he reflects the chords. Yeah. He, he doesn't do stuff that's wacky and outside the key. The, so every note in that solo is G major. Yeah. There's not a note in there that's not G major. Mm. David Gilmore is Agreed. another one for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. David yeah. Gilmore is yeah, another Gilmore's one for that. Another huh? one. Yeah. Playing no, the notes of the chord. Yeah. Or pentatonic, just yeah. pentatonic, you know. Yeah. So at the time they wanted a straight-out rhythm player and that's all. And uh, and that was fine with me. And at, later on, Rick and I had a conversation. It was Rick and I who had the conversation, um, well, you know, do you want me to play any solos? And he said, yeah, I do. And I started playing some solos after that. Cool. Uh, I, when I think of the Angels solos, I still think of Rick's, though. Okay. Yeah. As I said to you earlier, I'm a punter. I'm, I'm just a music fan. Yeah. Yeah. So when I think of the Angels, I think of, um, you know, I think of the solo in No Secrets. It's fantastic. It is, isn't it? So, having started out in the saxophone and just talking to you now and you're talking about different... I didn't play saxophone. I never played sax. I wanted to play sax. Oh, really? Okay. So, I was about to ask you but about my your... Dad told me no. Okay. Smart yeah, my dad. dad said no. You can't, you can't play sax. Okay. That okay. was the end of it. Okay, cool. That's the end of it. Buster. That's the end. <laughs> nice, nice. So, uh, in terms of theory and stuff, you, you just mentioned different degrees of the scale and everything. Yeah. Did you pick that from your guitar teacher? Is it something you picked up along the way because you just need to know how to speak I, the language? I had to learn theory. Um, I had um, you know, legitimate guitar lessons until I was 16 from the time I was nine, and I had to learn how to read, and I did exams. 
and um, I I had to go to music theory lessons, which were piano music theory lessons, because guitar was not considered a legitimate instrument when I was young. Above above guitar were banjo and mandolin. The guitar electric guitar was considered uh, a joke and uh, a fad and it wasn't going to last so we were not treated seriously yeah yeah spanish guitar was treated seriously electric guitar was not treated seriously there was no such thing as theory classes for electric guitar players i had to go to piano theory classes okay and that's where yeah. you picked it up because it's much better laid out on a piano isn't it you can actually just see the intervals and everything yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, and my theory isn't great. Um, I haven't done composition and I've not studied jazz. Even though I'm a huge jazz fan, I haven't studied jazz. Um, my theory isn't great. There are lots of people whose theory would run rings around mine. But but I like to talk. I'm turning the heater on. You're right, mate. Um, I like to talk in terms of the numbers, the mm -hmm. scale degrees, yep. because those things make sense to me rather than talking about, oh, is it an F sharp? You know, you just see that as a six of A rather than F sharp. Um, so I find the numbers really, really helpful. And in fact, I wish I had... Um, uh, I wish my language had been more about the numbers from the time I was young. I think that would have helped me a lot. One thing with thinking of it as in scale degrees um, is if you need to play something in a different key. If you're yeah. thinking, oh, this song's just one, five, six, four, and you need to change key, well, it's a no-brainer then, isn't it? You just do that yeah. in a different key, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, it makes a lot more sense. It does, it does. So when you joined the Angels, uh, just from some of the clips that I've seen online, you went from yeah. playing your, your gold top, gold top Les Paul to PRS guitars. Am I right in thinking you made a bit of a switch there? Oh, a lot of guitars. A lot of guitars. Rick. Yeah, yeah. A lot of guitars. Yeah. Um, so that's where the, um, the gear kind of changed was around that time for you, yeah. Well, and I could afford it. Yeah. Um, so most of the recorded Angels stuff. Uh, Oh, okay. There, are one of the most prominent guitars is a guitar that I made with Gerard Gillet, which we call Prez after the saxophone player Lester Young, who's a hero of mine. Yep. So a lot of the Angel stuff is Prez, um, and some of it is uh, one of a few Gretches that I had. Okay. Um, some of the recorded stuff is the Paul Reed Smith. The Paul Reed Smith was not good for rhythm for me. Okay. Um, but I did play a couple of solos on it. I, the solo uh, Dogs Are Talking Yep. is the blue Paul Reed Smith. Mm -hmm. I had two PRSs, supposedly the same model, and they sounded completely different. And one was really good, the blue one, and one was really not good, the red one. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So you, um, you just mentioned dogs are talking and using the, the blue one there. It just, yeah, the rhythm is not that guitar. It's just the solo. Is that you playing the triplets at the start? That starts with Rick Deuce doing the do 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 do, which is yeah. what eighth notes. Is that you that comes in with the ticket ticket ticket? You sir taught me to play triplets then. I was learning to play guitar and then it just the penny dropped when you started talking. I'm like, oh, fuck me. I learned for it, it, it's really funny. I, I got to bring up, I'm going to go off track a little bit. I used to play in a Queen tribute show, um, pretty big international touring one. And the last show I ever played with them was at Toowoomba Carnival of Flowers. It's a hugest crowd. Um, and Ice House were on after us. And we were told, don't try and meet Ivor Davies. He's a very private person. Well, it turns yeah. out. Ivor Davies is a huge Brian May fan. He seeked me out. And yeah. it was really funny chatting to him. And um, the crew were trying to drag him away. I go, man, the bus is leaving. He's going, no, man, I'm talking to this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a couple of times it popped in my head. I was like, hang on. I learned to play palm muted chords to electric blue by this guy. Right. And he's picking my brains. Right. 
<laughs> you have that little thing and then you and then you go oh he's just a dude you know it's sort of you have that little moment <laughs> yeah but um so in terms of amps and stuff around then as well mate the, the tone was a little bit different i was just listening and you know it was very different to some of the other stuff i've heard of yours what were you using with the angels in terms of amps oh i i, I didn't want it to be too mid-rangey mm-hmm uh, in the angels, uh, Doc's voice being lower, um, I thought should occupy that. So I tried to get a sound that was a little bit higher and a little bit lower than Doc, but not too bottomy. I was very conscious of not having too much bottom end in the angels because you're playing a lot of nick, 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 you know, nick, nicks, mm-hmm. eighth notes, and too much bottom end just makes it all Woolly. mush, yeah, yeah. blurry. Yeah. And you lose the pointy bit, and I wanted the pointy bit. So the first album I did with the Angels, uh, Howling, is all a Fender Super Champ with a 10-inch eminence. Okay, 10-inch speakers. Uh, Yeah, I love 10-inch speakers. Yep. Um, And the second album with the Angels, Beyond Salvation, which is the album that went number one, and it has on it, Dogs Are Talking and Let the Night Roll On. Um, that's all uh, a transistor Mexican Squire amp. Wow. With an eight-inch speaker, the whole album. Wow. It's funny, some of the, the tones that you can pull, I know I was looking into what the hell Billy Gibbons was using in, in ZZ Top back then. It was some oh. weird thing and... By all reports, sounds like a pile of rubbish, but in his hands and with that microphone well, in that song, it's just gold. Yeah, two things. Yep. Uh, two things. Yep. Um, I spent six months with Terry Manning in Memphis yep. who recorded all the ZZ Top so, albums. Yep, yep. And I know from Terry that Billy doesn't always tell the truth. Ah, um, a bit like EVH. Uh, uh, well, to... you know, uh, well, he likes a good story. Okay, but uh, I can I can also tell you that um, that uh, and uh, the amps that they recorded with are certainly not the ones that that Billy mentions in interviews. Okay, um, but the other thing is he's just open to anything. Yeah, really. Yeah. So um, you know those little. You know those the little battery operated amps, the little ones that are about this big. Yeah, you know, yep, Billy, yep. yeah, you know, put a mic on one of those, yep. whatever, a pig nose, yep, whatever. Not not getting hung up on it yep. is, I think, the really important thing. Just not getting hung up on it. Just if the sound works for the current project, and in it works in context. Uh, then that's what you use. And whether it's, um, in, in our case, it was a, uh, I think that amplifier cost us $65. Um, whether it's that or an antique whatever, you just use whatever works. Absolutely. Um, don't get hung up on the whole thing. Uh, I, I get really disappointed, a bit sad when, when I hear and read about guitar players getting so hung up on, you know, a, a this year guitar versus that year guitar, um, stuff like that, or, oh, no, it has to be this model amplifier. I don't think it has to be anything. Mm-hmm. I think you just, if I'm, I'm much more interested in having fun. If I'm not having fun with an instrument and an amplifier or a pedal, if it's not making me smile, then I don't use it. It's really, really simple. If you're having fun and if you think it sounds good in context, it's always about the context, then use that and don't worry about what anybody else says. There are... Well, you know what it's like. The guitar forums are full of guitar players who just want to impress other guitar players. Well, yeah. I've got a 19, 
55 goal top. Well, great. Mm. I mean, I've played some 55 goal tops that suck, but yeah. if you've got a great one, you know, good on you. Yeah. Um, it's not about that. It's, to me. It's, it's in here, isn't it? It's, it's in your fingers, you know. You can and take here, the and here. Yeah. Uh, is there, yeah. So a great example of that is, um, do you know the guitar player Louis Shelton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Louis is a friend of mine and when he comes here to record, um, like and he's if you're aware of his history, it's like, whoa. He is just like, oh, is, is there any particular way you'd like this mic? Whatever. Any particular whatever. mic? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And yeah. And he plays and he doesn't care about that. It's he just goes to that place and out it comes and I'm watching him play with an iPhone in my hand, sitting, filming a couple of things for him for, for his channel. Yeah. And I'm just blown away at how little the stuff that people obsess about too much to yeah. true masters, they do not care. It doesn't matter. Um, I didn't harass Terry Manning about lots of stories. Uh, he recorded Led Zeppelin three as well. And I did ask about, um, some of that and it was just so simple well you just plug that into that and that's that um but i also asked him about jeff beck who's a so jimmy page and jeff beck are personal friends of his mm -hmm. uh, and he said beck just turns up and uses whatever amps in the studio yep he doesn't carry it well, back then i don't know what it's like now but back then he would just use whatever amp happened to be around and he just find a sound that kind of worked and play with that. Yep. It's, I think guitar players are really bad and, oh, my battery's, man, my my battery's at 15%. Well, we'll get, we'll get a little bit more out of that. Oh, okay. Well, let's right. see how far we right. can go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think guitar players are so conservative and boring, really, quite boring. Sure, sure. So, in terms of gear, um, you're in Axe FX3 using it these days, I've seen. I just I just sold my Axe because I bought it primarily for touring, yeah. and the Tats won't be touring until next year, and I figure come next year I'll hire one or whatever. But I use amps made by Ivan Richards in Gosford. Oh, okay. I love the Axe, by the way. The Axe is fantastic. Sorry, it's fantastic. It's just that... I don't have a use for it right now. Sure, sure. The amplifiers I make, uh, I use the the valve amplifiers I use are made by Ivan Richards, who lives in Gosford. Okay. And they're absolutely beautiful. And is that and like a Marshall my, style of amp or no? No? No. no. Um, one of the amps I have is, is loosely based on Doug Ford's Marshall Major, and a Marshall Major is not like another Marshall because it has an ultra-linear output stage. Okay. So that's that our amp's called a Spencer Ford. Spencer, Doug Ford. Um, uh, and the other amps are of Ivan's designs. But no, I don't like Marshalls. I never have. I don't sound... For me, mm. when I plug into a Marshall, there's just... The mid-range is wrong. It's just not right to my ears. The mid-range is too high. Okay. There's yeah. not enough rock, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of upper mids, and I, I don't like that. Okay, cool. So I, I use Ivan's amps, and my pedals are Australian. Uh, I use um, Ivan Richards' pedals, uh, Michael Ibrahim, mm -hmm. MI Audio. Yep. And and I have a couple of Moztronics, Andrew from Melbourne, pedals, and they're all my pedals. Just nice. those. They're all Australian. Okay. I oh, was... and Sean Klinger. I have uh, a Sean Klinger fuzz. Nice, nice. Again, another Australian. Okay. And you, you're not using any special switches or anything? You've just got your pedals there and you do the, the appropriate tap dance to activate them all as you're going? Or Depends if I'm – it really depends on the context. If I, if I need access, if I really need access, I'll use something like, a, you know, one of those MIDI – patching things like a, a patch mate or something like that. Cool, cool. It just depends on the context. You, I don't always want to be using a MIDI controller. You know, so sometimes I go to a gig, I'll just take six pedals and 
do a tap dance. Yep. I'm not too fast. Sure, sure. So we do have quite a few viewers that I can see in the chat room. There's a lot of comments, but folks, if you have questions for Bob, please put them there because I actually have them in front of me there. I can see as you're chatting. So it uh, be nice to have. I, I, my phone's getting really flat. Okay, okay. I, that's why I'll put that call out because we have been talking for about an hour now. And um, I said if I got half an hour out of you, I'd be I'd Oh, be really? Happy. An hour? Yeah. yeah. I told you it flies, oh man. I've had these that go for three or four hours. It's just yeah. like you wouldn't well, believe. I'm, I'm happy to do this again, Rick, if you'd like. That'd be great. That'd be great. As I said, a lot of respect for you and your playing over the years, mate. So it's nice to, to hear some of your philosophies behind it all. And I, and I also I would like to mention my guitars. Mm -hmm. uh, my I have two beautiful guitars uh, made by Les at 68 guitars. 68 guitars. And they have, yep, and they have in them Mick Briley pickups. I've heard about Mick. And Chris Kinman pickups. And backwards. That's, that's actually all I use. I only have Mick Briley. Oh, no, I also have some lovely P90s from uh, Mr. Fabulous. Mr. Fabulous. Okay, I don't know that. I, I was pointing with my pen. It's, it's all, all backwards, but that strat that I'm pointing at over my shoulder, it's all backwards. Yeah. Get there. That's loaded with Kinmans. And yeah, I have the big 90 in the bridge, so it's a, a P90 uh -huh. sound in a single yes. coil. Yeah, Chris loves P90s. That's how we formed our friendship in the old days, over talk of P90s. Man, that is the missing link for me. For me, I, I've said this quite a lot. To me, a single coil pickup picks up a lot of the character of the guitar, whereas a humbucker yeah. picks up a lot of the character of the amp. That P90 <laughs> seems to be that middle ground for me where I'm getting a bit of bit of both. So um, I'm looking yeah. at getting some more guitars with, with P90s. It's only just discovered I'm the using I also have Mick Briley B90s in three guitars. Cool, cool. I, I've I've been hearing about Mick um, through a Mick's few people. Great. Yeah, yeah. Dave Leslie's mentioned him to me a few times, so I yeah. might reach Mick, out to Mick and Mick, Chris, Mister Fabulous. Uh, highly recommended pickups. All good, different, all good. Um, and I love Ivan Richards. He's he's one of the nicest human beings on the planet and he does beautiful work well very well respected by other builders as well so and then i'm gonna have to go my I, okay. I, well no we're down to 11 percent on my phone yeah sure sure that's why i was just seeing whether there was any questions before we run out there um uh, my girlfriend lauren watson is saying here bob is schooling me on music and life loving love it <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's nice that's nice um bob i will run, round it up mate because you know before we started and i said you sure you want to don't want to take a pee well it's hitting me isn't it because i'm sitting here <laughs> i would really love to have you back on soon mate and uh, i'll be happy to do it next next time i'll i'll plug my phone in i don't have a charger out here yeah that's fine and we've, we've got the, the skype connection now we've got the right account and everything so it won't be uh us trying to find it behind the scenes uh being being the duck you know cool and collective above the water but underneath it's all business mate with the feet going and yeah yeah i'm just checking out there's no they've got a lot of a lot of thanks bobs there um i you'll see those mate if you have a look there so a lot of a lot of people i'm just having a quick scan to see if there's a question Nah, they're all just notes of kudos mate so thank you yeah yeah bob thank you so much mate i really appreciate you taking the time to have, have a little chat um thank you Rick. folks as i said a little earlier um comments below uh if there's anything you want to pass over to, to bob if you catch this after the fact because we tend to get a lot more views afterwards because international and stuff uh also like i said pick out a harley benton guitar for me to demo because the folks there are going to look after me on that i want to get some good cheaper guitars uh in people's hands rather than demoing stuff that's out of people's ranges and these are great once again bob yeah. thank you so much for your time mate and we bid thank farewell you. to all ciao people thank you goodbye